Welcome to Solution Focus Possibilities Podcast. We want to help you have more productive conversations in whatever area of work or life you find yourselves in. What better way to do that than to invite you into our own conversations as we discuss our solution focused practice, our different experiences and findings. We hope you find this helpful, useful and inspiring. Welcome to our podcast. So just before we start recording, uh, Greg, Greg's kids were making a bit of a noise in the background, and um, and Ben's reaction straight away was like, "What's a solution-focused way that we can ask them to be quiet?" And it's it's so funny to me how the approach, the solution-focused approach, isn't just something that hmm. um, impacts the way you work with clients, but seems to be something that's like infiltrates all areas of your life so like when we're out and about for dinner or, or going out f- together it seems to be something that's talked about a lot and impacts lots of other areas of your life is that something that's in- intentional or is it just something that you really love so it it's just happens like that I was going to say, this is going to be politically so incorrect, but we're all infected. <laughs> Aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's one of those things like, I don't know, as much as we talk about it, it's the, the underlying like values to it that I think just like it does change you. It's like when people say, oh, what are the things people do about like reflective logs and not logs, but like thinking each day, like what are three things that I'm like pleased with or like, yeah, from my day, like you train yourself to kind of think of those things every day and notice those things. And when you start seeing people as like, yeah, just doing the best that they can and everything else, it just changes the way I think you, you interact with the world. Yeah. It's just so funny every time we're out, especially, especially you, Ben, actually, it's like you see something happen you're like, Ooh, that's a perfect analogy for uh, this and this and this in solution focused. I'm not sure about perfects. They're often analogies, but rarely perfect ones. We, we, we can tweak them. We can tweak them. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> See, that's a really good point that you're making, Jamie, because sometimes, you know, people ask us, but do you need to be kind of optimistic character to be able to do SF? And we talked about in last podcast about optimism and positivity, didn't we? So guys, listen to the, to the last podcast. It's kind of, uh, it's more a habit than anything else, isn't it? You get used to the language. Um and to get more skilled in in speaking certain language, it's not nothing to do with talent or character or personality. Or I, I think I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think it's something that yeah, just starts to come more naturally, and like it becomes a habit. Although I do have to say, it's it's not twenty four seven all the time. <laughs> oh God, no! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the reason why I ask is because off off the podcast, Ben, you were talking about. Um, about note taking and about how important clinical notes are mm. um, but really about how the way that you write those notes can have a massive impact on lots of other things and influence your work and the way that you perceive the person you're working with all that type of stuff um, and it was interesting that you know for a lot of people perhaps notes are notes mm. like you don't relate that to any particular approach but you were saying about how 
incredibly important it is that your solution focus not just in the way that you conduct yourself with clients but also in the way that you you write your notes uh so this i think is probably quite mm. an interesting thing to talk about uh however boring that feels like <laughs> we're going to be talking about notes this whole time um <laughs> but the impact is massive which i think i didn't really appreciate until you you mentioned it so before we get into it do you want to just give a bit of an overview perhaps about what we even mean when we talk about notes? There might be people listening that aren't clinicians. They don't know what clinical notes are. Mm. Uh, so what are they? Uh, who writes them? What's the purpose of them? I think that would probably probably be quite a decent place to start with, I guess. I think it's, you know, for, for me, um, you know, in different settings, I have to keep different, you know, logs or case notes. There's different requirements depending on which kind of organization I'm, I'm working for. Um, and I just you know, think it's, it's interesting to think about, you know, how, well, whether, and if so, how solution-focused approaches, you know, can influence and shape the way that we talk about clients outside of our sessions with them. And, and part of that is in our written notes, you know, when we're reflecting on and writing up our sessions, um, and also part of it is the is the dialogue and the conversation between colleagues and between professionals, um, and that can either be in note form or email, or it can be spoken in conversation. Um, and I think it's important because I, you know, I honestly believe that it. Sh- it shapes and it is a factor in outcomes and in success rates, um, you know, for, for the clients because, you know, our, our beliefs and our thinking shape our actions, right? So, um, if we've, if we're going into a piece of work, a session, and we already have preconceived thoughts about the client based upon conversations with colleagues and based upon what we might've read in case notes, then that could potentially shape, um, you know, our actions in that session, and it could shape the way that we approach that work with that individual. Um, you know, and I could go off on millions of examples at this point, but I'll uh, I'll hold that for a moment, and I'll let Greg chip in because he's smiling as normal. <laughs> no, it just I mean, it takes me back to um, I think it was a tweet. Was it a tweet this week? By the by, the brief guys, and it is that notion of. I mean, they've talked to us about it from day dot really around. It's best to talk about people or write about people. I don't think I said right, but it's essentially best to talk about people as if they're there in the room with you. Mm. So those things you'd be talking about, you want to be kind of being able to say as if that someone was in the room with you. If you're if you're having a different view on, I'm going to say this behind their back, that then it probably doesn't need to be said, or it's not going to be helpful <laughs> to to say it really. Um, so I think it's kind of, yeah, it's important to then translate that into those conversations, as Ben said, as well as how we write about people. And I think especially when, well, for me anyway, this is probably my own stuff, when there might be a thing about timing and when I write things as well. So I might need some time to stop and think about it before I jump straight into something because I might just do it a bit in a rush. And yeah, what comes out might not be the most thoughtful, which isn't going to be helpful. Mm. so my experience of notes and you can tell me if if we're talking about the same thing is Mm. um so i would go to a session well actually before actually before you even go into a session you'd probably pull up the person's notes that you're going to go see have a 
a bit of a read. Yeah. Um, that might be something that you've written from a previous session. It might be the documentation that comes just with a referral if it's the first time you've mm. seen them. It might be from someone else who's who's done a session with the person before. So you have a quick read of those. You try, try to di- digest as much of that information as you possibly can in the short period of time you have. And then you go into a session, you do your session, uh, whatever that might look like. And then when you come away, if you can, you immediately write out um, an overview of what happened Mm -hmm. in that session. Um, And it will typically be pretty fact-based, which we can talk Mm -hmm. about actually, because it's often not, but anyway. um, And that would be then the notes that are kind of kept with the person you're working with and followed around. It might even be used in meetings, Mm -hmm. Um, it would be the thing that other people refer to if they're taking on the work with the client. Um, yeah. But basically, it's quite a big, it's quite a big deal, really. It's so notes sound a bit boring and a bit meaningless, but actually, often it's a thing that a person f- uses mm. to frame their understanding of the person they're about to see, especially if they've never met them before. Like the notes are the thing that people will go off. Um, so therefore, like that can't mm. be meaningless like the notes have got to influence your understanding of the person and therefore influence the way you work with them Um, and and there's you know especially in cases where um you know perhaps a colleague has you know gone off on long-term sick and their cases have to be picked up by other people Uh, or perhaps you know where someone's left to start a new job and their cases have to be picked up by other people and all you've got is the case notes you can't even have a wider dialogue or discussion around it. So everything is based upon what is written in front of you. And yeah, I think it does have an influence. I think, you know, for that reason, I think it's worth looking at. Mm. Yeah. I mean, so, so my experience of notes are in quite a big team and you'd often write notes like to make sure that everyone knew what was kind of going on. Uh, how does it work with you guys who often work uh, quite individually, I guess. Is it different within solution-focused possibilities? Does notes play a big role with you? I think, yeah, for me, it, it, as Ben mentioned about different organizations, I think it varies quite a bit based on organizational demands. Um, wherever possible, I try not to look at the notes unless like, I need to be aware of something. <clears throat> but I think from, a, from an ideal standpoint of doing things independently, I don't really take many notes at all um and don't really kind of need to keep them many places i think because of yeah just a variety of reasons i think it's just more the trying to stay in that conversation um i think it's more yeah when within an organization they'll have different requirements to have certain things done whether that's an analysis or a summary or actions and next actions and all that sort of thing i don't know what what the rest of you guys think but i don't really take notes for for kind of independent stuff and it's uh, so interesting isn't it because notes as in written format it's so fixed and we've often confused them with facts so you think like those things that you read about a certain person are facts but it's always the person who's writing them down that interprets what's happened and mm. it says a lot about the person taking notes what they have been seeing in the session that made them put their thoughts down in that specific way and you can easily miss something that happened in the session uh, by following notes 
so yeah it's in a sense more pragmatic to not take a look at the notes and just go with what the client brings but it depends on the agency we, we have this freedom um, that we can decide to do it that way uh, it doesn't work for everyone especially when people need to know certain things or um, but still kind of bearing in mind that it's not the facts that we're operating with necessarily yeah that's, that's really interesting because we were told that we had to write facts only um, like you shouldn't put your opinion down you shouldn't really write a percep like any perceptions of what happened it should all be facts but yet a lot of the notes actually in reflection were stuff like um, this young person engaged really well today or this young person didn't engage really well today etc etc which um, is actually very much a mm. uh, perception really so I think that's quite interesting when you think about that reflection mm. um, but, but Ben you've got some real life notes here that perhaps you could talk us through and we can look at them and perhaps figure out a couple of different ways that we could reframe them um, and write better notes. So do you want to just kind of talk us through some of the things you've yeah, got? Yeah, I mean, these are... I've got a couple of sort of genuine examples. Um, so we're not just kind of making it up, but these are genuine examples I've come across recently. Obviously changed the name um, for identity's sake. Um, and I think this can... I think it can snowball really quickly. What starts as like a small, harmless comment like this can really, really snowball. So, you know, perhaps professionals start talking to each other and that idea of this person being a, a difficult client, being someone who's resistant, you know, someone who's maybe, you know, avoiding um, the support being offered, that can like grow really quickly and that can become like the definition of this person that people are trying to work with. Um, and one of the things that I've also noticed is that when, and, and you, you'll see this when I give a couple of examples, <clears throat> is that when a session or a piece of work um, has gone badly, by that means you know, the desired outcome wasn't met, the language often sort of almost puts a bit of blame onto the client for that. And, you know, I'm sure people aren't doing this deliberately or consciously. It's just something that sort of slipped into our language and, you know, language is, is powerful. But when you actually look at the case notes, it's like, oh, okay, so when the outcomes were not what were hoped for, the client is being blamed a bit in terms of they weren't engaging, they weren't, you know, um, investing in the process properly. And then... On the other side of things, when there has been a successful outcome, you notice that the language starts to shift a bit and it starts to give more of the credit to the worker rather than the client for that success. So here's a couple of genuine examples. So one is um, Ginny didn't engage as well as the last session. So Ginny didn't engage as well as the last session. And as you say, Jamie, that's a fairly common sort of thing, this idea of they didn't engage. Um, and another one is, uh, Jeremy seemed very annoyed and struggled to communicate with me. And I think that's another, you know, 
familiar one that we see recurring this idea of they struggled to communicate with me uh, rather than we struggled to communicate with them right <laughs> and these are really small comments and they might have been put down you know with the best intentions but i think they could they're really powerful they can really start to shape how people view these pe- you know people and families and clients and then i've got a um an example from where a piece of work uh, went well And the quote is, I ensured that Phoebe acknowledged the progress made. Okay, so it's it's subtle, but you can see that when there's progress being made, it starts to reflect the worker's influence a little bit more. So I ensured that Phoebe acknowledged the progress made. Mm -hmm. So there's a few kind of little examples. Um, and like I say, I think this can snowball in, in dialogue and team meetings. Someone mentioned earlier that actually when a, a case is um, you know, quite difficult, sometimes bigger meetings will be called and these notes will be brought to those meetings to be discussed further. Um, and they can just build on each other. Um, you even start to hear like generational stuff, like people will be say, you know, oh, well, I worked with their parents back in the day and they were just as difficult you know they were just as uh, resistant and this you know this picture of these people really um, takes hold um, I also think that it it happens in you know group settings and other settings that maybe aren't so clinical work so I had four years of working in a, a secondary school and I you know, can guarantee that this sort of thing happened amongst staff in school talking about classes and pupils as well um, you know I remember looking down registers before lessons and hoping that certain pupils would be sick or ill or off school because I was dreading so much having to try and teach them and manage them in the classroom and the crazy thing is like I might not have even spent any time with this person it's just what I'd heard in the staff room you know and all this language Um, so I think there's something really powerful about this the way that we talk about clients and families and young people outside of our direct work with them Um, and then the the final thing I'd say is I think it well I I believe that it actually impacts upon long term outcomes as well. Um, so you know if you are reading case notes that say this person struggles to communicate, this person doesn't engage, this person is resistant, then over time you know potentially one of the results of that is that you as a worker are you know less inclined to keep persevering you know to keep going with this piece of work because well there's someone who doesn't engage and there's someone who um, is resistant to it anyway so you know so why would I go the extra mile yeah. whereas if you're reading uh, comments and case notes in a slightly different way in a solution focused way which we'll talk about later then maybe there's a different result from that and maybe the worker approaches it differently but yeah I just wonder if I can play devil's advocate briefly, because I I wonder, Mm -hmm. um, I can imagine some people saying to that, well, surely it's really, really important that the next person who works with that young person or whoever is client, um, it's really important that they know these things when they go to see the person. So what was the example you said? They struggled to 
communicate, was it? Yeah, so let's take that as an example. So Jeremy seemed very annoyed and struggled to communicate with me. Yeah. Well, okay, so I can imagine people saying the fact that someone's wrote that down, where they're down, is really helpful piece of information for the next person that might see them. Um, if they have got some difficulties in communication, is that not a good thing? Or, or is it that you're saying... Um, relaying the information isn't a bad thing or isn't a problem in fact it's good it's just the way that you write it the the slant you decide to put on it is that what is that what you're saying is important um you probably could predict my answer and i'll, I'll hold back for a moment i'll let rather than talking the whole time i'll let these guys chip in and uh, and then see where we get to i think it's that bit of <clears throat> again you talked about writing down the things you see happening so is it that they were struggling to communicate in that session and in, in which case i'd be thinking more like maybe today we're having a bad day or maybe you know whatever the reason was maybe today just wasn't a day they wanted to talk a lot um but if it's something where you're working with someone and they have i don't know a preferred way of communicating and something like that i think that's maybe a little bit different so it's like is it a sessional thing or is it a broader piece of information about like i suppose as well like being able to pull out how you do engage them well so when when we are working well together what are the things i'm doing as a practitioner that's helping to facilitate that and like when i see them responding well what am i noticing myself doing like what is it about how we're working together and some of that might not be i suppose you can talk about the community how you communicate within that if that makes any sense, this is where my mind is going. Um, but I think there's that separation between, oh, in this session, they just didn't communicate very well with me versus having a, a, a broader sort of, yeah, think about how, how do I communicate with this individual and do they have any specific needs we need to be aware of? Yeah, I'm kind of thinking like where, what, what? <laughs> and uh, it's rather than, uh, I suppose trying to discover what's really going on um, in the interaction between, say, a practitioner and the client, and who who is it that struggles and why. And that, that's not, in most cases, that's not our job. Our job is to help people um, find a way forward for them. And the view that guys were describing, as in what you see is what you get, is not much to do with you know what's really going on it's it's more helpful as in being pragmatic stance that will enable practitioners to have hope so that the client is capable of answering questions that the client has their ways of communicating and it just helps you stay in the session and keep doing what we are doing so it's more to do with um, pragmatic stance of the practitioner so that we can do our job better rather than trying to figure out what's really going on and why. I just wanted to pause the podcast briefly just to tell you a little bit about our online training. We have lots of different resources for you online, some free and some more comprehensive to give you a really good understanding of the solution-focused approach. If you want to find out more or sign up to our newsletter, go to www.sfpossibilities.org. 
I'm going to be sort of a bit controversial here and or take it up a notch. We'll, I might get completely um, shot down, but let's see where we get to. Um, Greg's having a sip of water to prepare himself. Yeah, he's preparing. <laughs> this is just getting ready, just making sure they're yeah, ready to <laughs> But hey, these are more fun when we um, when we throw things around. So why not? Absolutely. Um, well, okay, two things that are coming to my mind at the moment. First of all, I think it's worth slowing this down a bit and looking at, so let's take that one quote, okay? Jeremy seemed very annoyed and struggled to communicate with me. I think it's worth thinking about what does that communicate to another professional picking up this piece of work and how does it start to influence how they approach it? Okay, so immediately I think that starts to communicate a layer of like complexity to this professional that like uh, this person's going to be complex to work with. Yeah, um, when you say they struggled to communicate with me, um, that may be for some people one of the nuances and interpretations of that is that they're, um, you know, they they aren't particularly um, committed to the to the process or not, they're not that collaborative maybe okay so maybe the messages that can come from that from a professional picking up this piece of work are things like you know oh, this is going to be complex and you know this is maybe someone who's not really going to want to work with me who's not going to collaborate with me very well and then you know how does that then affect and impact that professional um well i would say in some cases that probably starts to raise their anxiety levels about working with this person probably raises their stress levels and then you take that a step further you're like okay so how does that impact the work if the professional is going into it you know stressed and anxious and I'm saying here that I think there's a real negative impact to this stuff in terms of the work that's actually delivered on the ground. Um, now that's, I mean, that's one point, the, the possibly more controversial one that I'm going to stick my neck out and say here is because it sounds like one of the, you know, it sounds like people are saying, let's just stick to maybe quite a neutral way of writing these notes, just what we see in front of us. Yeah. Um, but I think because of the culture we're in and because there is a culture of problem-focused working, I don't think neutral notes cut it. And I'll give you an example. Um, I had a case where um, a session of session I had scheduled with this person um, was missed so it was a telephone session I rang them at the appointed time and day and there was no answer and then later in the day they text back to apologize and they said sorry I'd fallen asleep okay now it, when I write on my case notes nothing but the hard neutral fact and I just you know I could quote the text and I could just write, this session was uh, was missed because, and then I could quote their text, they had fallen asleep at the appointed time. Yeah. Now, that is nothing but neutral and that is nothing but, you know, hard facts. And yet, what I suspect happens when other professionals read that is that they go, oh, they fell asleep at the appointed time of day. What does that tell me about this person? It tells me they're not engaging. It tells me they're resistant. It tells me they're a difficult client, right? 
And I think that is because of the kind of culture that surrounds a lot of a lot of this practice. So I am advocating here and you know we're st- we're throwing these ideas around but I think what I'm advocating for is that neutral notes are not enough and we need to apply some of these solution focused assumptions that um, our clients and families and young people we're working with are doing the best they can given their circumstances and that we need to reflect that in our notes. Yeah, I've just written down the phrase blame culture because I wonder whether that has an influence on this. Like, um, I remember being really worried uh, about the notes mm. because we were told, like, you know, these could be revealed to everybody in court one day if something went wrong. Therefore, you need to make sure that they're written in this particular way, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And therefore, you're not going to write it in a way that makes you look bad if you've you know made a wrong choice in a session about something you haven't asked the right questions Mm -hmm. um or even worse like you want to just cover the absolute basics you don't want to write loads of detail because you might be pinned on something (laughs) eventually so is there a fear thing here that will influence our notes yeah even like even on a lesser level i think that's true and i'm just reflecting on you know my own practice here like i'm even if i'm just thinking about how it looks to my supervisor how it looks Mm. to my colleagues around me you know i don't want to have to write oh you know i i didn't manage to um you know successfully communicate (laughs) with this client today yeah Yeah. i don't want to write that yeah that reflects badly on me but that is you know and i remember an initial like the first few times I came across Solution Focus um, trained by Harvey Ratner from Brief and I can't remember his exact wordings but he was essentially saying you know if a session um, it does not produce successful outcomes then it's because we haven't asked the right questions not because the client hasn't engaged and I remember looking around the room and immediately like 75% of the room are just switched off from this approach and they're just angry and they're like, what? What you're telling me that like if it doesn't work out is because of us, not because of the client? No, you can't tell us that. And it is a it's a really difficult like pill to swallow. Mm. Um, and of course, and you know, Bieber's mentioned that pragmatic stance thing again. You know, of course we're not saying that, you know, this is a we've thoroughly assessed and analyzed the situation and come to a concrete conclusion that yes this was um you know because of our practice that this hasn't worked as opposed to uh, what how the client's engaging with it but it's that simple in the moment pragmatic stance of you know when a session or a piece of work doesn't produce the outcome you wanted you have a choice there Really, you have a choice of, you know, do you put that, however subtly, do you put that on the client or the young person or the family for not engaging with it? Or do you reflect on your own practice? And it's a pragmatic stance because reflecting on your own practice is more likely to produce beneficial results in the long term. Yeah. We, you know, we do this in parenting workshops with parents as well. Okay. So, so let me give, give you a quick example, right? We run a group for separated and divorced parents. Okay. About how to um, overcome difficulties and conflict and, um, you know, find common ground in parenting styles. And, um, you know, people will often say, um, well, it'd be so much easier if my ex was doing A, B, C, and D. 
Okay. And whilst that may be true, our job as facilitators is to encourage those people to, to just reflect on their own behavior, okay, and their own actions, because that's the part that we can control. Right, we we can't control you know anyone else's behaviour and actions other than our own. So that's the bit that is most useful to reflect upon, and the mo bit that's most useful to see if we can make changes with. Yeah, and I can see Greg rolling his eyes. So I'll let <laughs> I him come back. You, Greg. <laughs> Not necessarily rolling my eyes. I'm I'm contemplating. I suppose that idea of then what you would write differently in that sort of thing. And I suppose mm -hmm. as good as it would be in a sense for you to take the responsibility in a, in a case note, I mean, it, I suppose it'd be different. It'd be different to write it so that it actually gets across that pragmatic stance as opposed to like, I didn't do this well enough, but actually something like, you know, Oh, when they, when I, did they call you or text you back saying they'd overslept? They text me back. Text yeah, you they back. text me back. So something about the text, you know, being able to write that, you know, they were very apologetic and we instantly or, you know, quickly set up another time, you know, which shows to me that they clearly want to continue working with me and to continuing our conversation. So I suppose something like that would be a bit more, this is what I'm seeing and this is what it leads me to believe as opposed to, yeah. Anything else? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it does. This is why I do podcasts with you, Greg, because you come up with great ideas like that. Yeah, so the, the, so the focus of the note would be on the fact that um, they had text shortly afterwards and they'd been quick to apologize and rearrange a session as opposed to the notes focusing on the fact that they'd slept through the initial appointment. Hmm. And they had something better to do than being with us in the session, which is what we would be aiming at. Like, we, we don't want to be the most important people in our clients' lives. We want to be the least important people. So if they've slept, overslept, well, that's great news because they decided to do something different and something apparently better. Why not? Yeah. Well, that's so, that's so interesting because I think that would be something that wouldn't have even been considered. Like, it's such a different approach. Um, and it's such an interesting thought that the person's doing something much more beneficial to them, obviously, uh, to stay in bed and not be with you. <laughs> uh, and that's fine. And that's potentially a really good thing. I think that's really, really fascinating. It is. That reminds me of an interview that I was listening at a long time ago with one really, really renowned name in psychiatry, um, very well respected. And he said at some point, that he is likely to be the most important relationship in many of his clients mm. for life. Mm. And the journalist was nodding as in, yes, 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 I can see because you're being so helpful because people can't do without you. And yeah, well, you know me guys, but I, I found myself thinking like, who the hell do you think you are? Um, well, it's, and that, that's the difference, isn't it, between our approach to, say, mainstream approaches who would kind of have this long heritage of pathology, medical model and such, that we truly believe when we say that the clients are the experts on their lives and nobody else should be having that, um, uh, well, right to, to take over. 
because don't full stop yeah so so do you think there's almost a bit of a pride thing mm. here is it pride and creating dependency mm. um with yeah. a very good argument as in i'm a professional i have studied this i know better mm. yeah and that's very dangerous yeah. and i think it, it, yeah. it comes from that place of wanting to be as, as helpful and useful as possible i think it just gets a little bit over the line when it's like my way is the only way to, to, to make sure that we, we you know if they, they need to listen to me to be able to do this then i think that that becomes a bit and you know sometimes that works for people but I think there are a lot of times where where it doesn't. And I think I mean, we talked about it, I think, last time as well. That idea of if my that way doesn't work for somebody, then you lose those people. And, and then it's kind of, well, what do you do with them? But those are the ones that get labeled as difficult to engage or awkward or argumentative and things like that. And then they're, mm. yeah, kind of pushed aside. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking about how how subtle, but how... Uh, massive at the same time the way that you use your words are mm. the difference between this kid didn't turn up to the session today to they didn't need a session today yeah is is so subtle in terms of your words but so um has such an impact on the way that other people will view that person when they read that the way that you will the next time um i think it just has a huge knock-on effect to everything else that you do doesn't it it's, it's the angle that you're looking at it from isn't it really mm. it's this it's the same facts but it's the the angle that you're looking at it from um and you know and i this this has a re you know this has a real impact it does have a real impact on work um and i'll just keep you know in reflecting on my own practice with this case you know i know when i started to notice these case notes things and started to reflect upon it and, and look at it again that i had a, a renewed um sort of spurt of motivation to try and you know reconnect um with this client and you know book in some further sessions um and i think after and, and i know that i was starting to feel like i was giving up because i'd asked and suggested that maybe someone else try working with them right and then after reflecting on this stuff and thinking well you know actually maybe there is another way of looking at it um i just persevered i sent some more messages i think i recorded like a video message to say you know hey just touch your base see how you are and um you know we just just letting you know that we can work at your pace and on any topic that you want to work on and also it's you know if you don't want to work um, with me at all that's absolutely fine too it's completely voluntary um and the outcome of that is that we went on to have you know, a, a really thorough you know great session following that um mm. you know, which lasted over an hour um, and you know, I know. So I'm, I'm not thinking about or talking about anyone else here. This is just from my own practice. I know that when I was letting those that thinking and those notes start to creep in, and it's super subtle. It's really subtle to begin with. They didn't engage today. Um, oh, you know, they they missed the appointment. They didn't communicate effectively, etc. It builds and it builds and it builds. And the result is, and this is why it's so important, is because it was affecting my practice. It was starting to stop me from continuing to reach out and continuing to persevere with this person. And it was when I reflected on it and started to think, okay, is there another angle of looking at this? 
that I continued to, to reach out and we had some um, some progress. And I'm now, and I love talking with these guys because I'm now thinking, well, some of these are, ideas are way better than my initial thoughts. So, um, you know, things like <laughs> concentrating on the fact that they're text and that they wanted to rearrange and wanted to apologise quickly, um, and then that idea of actually um, this person was doing the best thing for themselves and they were doing something better for themselves than meeting with me, mm. which was getting a good amount of sleep. It's a really yeah. different way of looking at, at things. Is there something here too about personal development? Um, I mean, professional development, really. If you're as, as a clinician or as someone that works with people, when you're looking back through notes and all the time it's like the young person or client didn't do this, didn't do this. And the whenever something kind of goes wrong, it's, it's on them. You can't learn a lot from that as a clinician. Whereas if you're looking back and it says, you know, I, I've made the wrong choice today on the questions, I should have done this or that, then surely that gives you a much better way forward in terms of like learning from some of the mistakes in the past. And that can only be a good thing, surely. Yeah, I think it makes you, it makes you keep working and keep thinking about things. And it, it kind of has that, I don't know what the right word is at the minute, but it, it's kind of, the opposite of this being like, well, if, if, if you're focused on they're not engaging, they're one of these, these people that don't engage, then like that's setting that as a fact. That's just that's how it is. So then your actions are different. But I think if you have that sense of like not reading into it, not accepting things as fact, accepting things can change. It gives you, as Ben was saying, I think that that hope and that possibility. And I think with anyone in a, a helping profession or anybody trying to help people if you know you've got a chance to help someone you're going to keep working i think to keep trying to find a way like ben said like doing a video thing some people write letters you know it everybody's going to be different somebody might talk to a family member or you know reach out to somebody else just to get a message to somebody like yeah and i think the, the way people do that it just makes you keep working and keep thinking about how else can i be of use rather mm -hmm. than no, nope, I'm done. I'm gonna go help this other person who's more deserving or more willing to talk to me, which we know isn't true. That they're not more deserving. It's just they're the one there on the doorstep, and it's often the ones I think that are harder, harder to engage, shall I say? Yeah. Which I know is a line of whatever. I won't mention that. Um, those are the ones that probably need, maybe need the help a bit more potentially. Like we can make more of a difference in those people's lives. I think. Mm. Yeah. I kind of think that in our profession, I mean, in any modality, really, that everybody wants to do a good job and that, that everybody's kind of looking at their practice with reflective eyes and kind of Scott Miller is talking about deliberate practice, isn't he? Um, where you would kind of get regular supervision, monitor what you're doing, get further training. Um, however, as you said, Greg, it it's depends on what you would pick up on. Say, if it's client not engaging, then you might be interested in, well, let's let's have further training about clients not engaging, and let's see what might be pot potential causes why they're not engaging, uh, what has been happening in their lives. So that would give me better tools of assessing why is it that they're not engaging. So you'd follow that follow that route, and it's still professional development, and it's still learning, and it's. Um, trying to do a good job it's just in a very very different from a very very different angle and not saying that this can't be helpful it might uh, 
and it might lead to a much longer process because you'd look into so many more factors that are maybe not even necessary. So we would always kind of strive for simplicity and just looking yeah. and into what works and do more of it. Yeah. And this might be something to edit out. I don't know, but I'm just going to say it. I think I've been on some of those trainings for like say you know, it. engaging, say en- it. <laughs> engaging with, with difficult to reach or like hard to engage people or families and things like that. And it, it generally kind of goes into more of like you need to understand what they're going through and everything else. It doesn't tell you like how to view them and like how you can then try and go and do something about it. It's just more like, well, yeah, but this is why they're not engaging. And then it tends to kind of stop there. So yeah. I think yeah. some of those, yeah, it, it's good that people are thinking about development around some of those things. But I, yeah, again, I think, again, another program that could potentially be scrapped or adapted to, to be more useful. Yeah, please, can I jump in? Because I've got really a big issue, professional issue with, with that. It's kind of when, whenever you see a training or workshop that goes how to deal with XX clients, that kind of a admits that there are difficult clients b kind of places the reason why they're like that within the client which follows the pathological medical model and we we can do better than that we can do so much better than that not saying that this is not the an option it is an option but it's not the only option so i get goosebumps when i see trainings like this um and what what i get more goosebumps on is that they sell well so that yeah. says something as well, doesn't it? I think that says more about the yeah the people wanting to make that difference more than anything else. It's kind of like oh, if people could give me a way to just to be able to be useful and be helpful to you know all these people, then that would be amazing. I just don't know if they always walk away with that. I think we should do a whole episode on is there such a thing as a difficult client? What do you reckon? <laughs> wow that will be that will be an interesting one because i know i know there'll be people listening to this they're like no there really is i've had some horrific people that just yeah. i tried everything i asked yeah. all the good questions and they just didn't want to go there or they you know whatever so that would be an interesting thing to talk about uh, at some yeah. point um yeah I wanted just to give some people a few practical things to take away. We can go through some of those notes again, Ben. Yeah. Um, and just see what ways we can adapt it, what ways we can rewrite them to make them a bit more uh, solution-focused, a bit more appropriate and helpful. Because uh, I've written notes like that in the past, really poor ones. It'd be good to kind of mm. give some people a few yeah. real solid tips. So could we do something like that? Yeah. I think there's um, there's there's this specific level of the wording which is which is great and Greg's already given us a really nice example with that that one where the, the clients had slept through a session and Greg's saying well the note should focus and could focus on the fact that they're text quite quickly afterwards to apologize and to rearrange yeah um, 
I also think there's like an organizational level here. So at the root of this is like a self-preservation, you know, which we all have that like, you know, people want to do a good job and people don't want to look like they're, um, you know, struggling or failing. So there has to be a culture, an organizational culture that allows people to write things that are like, you know, the questions that I asked today maybe weren't the best fit for this person. Yeah, and for that to be okay, and for that to be a good thing and a good part of everyday practice, um, so I think there's like an organisational thing going on here as well, um, and maybe that's—I mean, we always say this to them. Maybe that's another podcast thinking about organisations and, and culture and organisations. But yeah, so um, so the first one, as you said, in terms of the specific examples, was just um, Ginny didn't engage as well as the last session. So Ginny didn't engage as well as the last session. Okay. So is there any better ways that we can write something like that as an alternative? Tricky without... I think it's easier when you've got more like specifics. I know we're not going to get into that because of like confidentiality and things. But I think when you can describe how... Like what we saw and like how they did engage with some of the things or often some of the responses there are hints in there like they'll i don't know i think what if i think of like sessions i've had with people that can be in that sort of position and i can take that for you it's also often because they're telling me you know my head's just not in it today because you know this has been going on or i didn't sleep well last night or you know i just had a discussion with the kids or or something like that Whereas I think when you have something specific like that in that conversation, it's easier to reference something like that to just say, you know, because of some other things that were going on, our, our conversation wasn't as, as focused, you know, and, and I didn't find the right questions to, to go with that. Um, so I, it's almost like an, I, then I respected that's where they were at today. So we, we ended the session or, yeah, that kind of thing. That's kind of where my head mm-hmm. would be at. So could we just come up with a brief uh, made-up kind of context to this then, just so we can have an example? Uh, So let's assume, you know, a lot of people I worked with were people who were kicked out of school, um, who were expelled because of behaviour issues and stuff and didn't want to or couldn't engage. And I'm saying that exact phrase now. There we go. Um, Didn't want to engage with the educational system at all. So we would go in and, and run groups and, and I remember sitting down sometimes trying to have conversations with people and you were just entirely blanked. Um, and that's where that notes would come from when they didn't want to engage or they didn't engage with me is where they would like stonewall you entirely and just wouldn't answer your questions or ignore everything you were trying to do. Um, and that isn't just within the context yeah. that I was in you know i know that that happens a lot and i guess that's where often these notes come from situations like that so could we go with something like that do you think see that's interesting isn't it because we would kind of assume that as long as clients sit with us and don't get up and leave they are engaging so if that means sitting down quietly and looking at us or not looking at us but not leaving that's engaging and who knows? I mean, that reminds me of, a, of an example that was given from someone practicing in Asia where it's not as desirable to being so outspoken about one's individual traits. 
So the supervision advice was just carry on asking your questions and just don't bother which you think like, what kind of dismissive advice is that? But they went with it anyway. And it turned out that the client, well, the, the client heard the questions. So they were answering in their head and it mm. made a difference to their life. So who knows, you know, how clients engage? Well, it's certainly not us to decide what what is it that they're doing and why. Um, so as long as they're in the room with us, yeah, absolutely. And I think I've had so many family sessions where you, you have your teenagers in there with like on their phones completely, you know, what you think would be ignoring you, but they're listening to everything you're saying. And then you come mm. back the next week and the parents are like, I don't know what you did, but all of a sudden, like, I don't know, just things are better. And like, I think what people I'm trying to think who it was, it might've been, um, I don't remember somebody like people can't help but answer questions. If you put it like if you just ask a question, people answer it in their heads anyway. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that those things just come through. So I think we, I would then think about writing it along the lines of, while they didn't tell me, you know, while they didn't vocalize any answers to my questions, they did sit with me for you know, thirty, thirty-five minutes, forty-five minutes, whatever, however long it was, um, and my guess was they were listening to my questions and, and thinking about them. Yeah. sort of looking back on sort of tying that in with um, the example we started with as well which said they didn't engage as well as as the last session Mm. rather than sort of comparing it to the last session in that negative way in that deficit way of they didn't engage as well as last time we might use the language of they built upon the good work of last session by sitting with me for 35 minutes yeah it's, it's, these are small changes, but they've got a uh, you know, big impact. And I also think we've just uncovered another layer to this because by, because we're talking about you know people trying the best they can. That's our assumption and the efforts that are pe- people are putting in. So, you know, so there is a... Uh, so what's happening in front of us, okay? Last session, the person might have spoken in great depth to us for an hour, yeah? But they might have been in a particularly good place that day and you know who knows what's going on around them but to us as the worker we're like yeah they engaged brilliantly right they were completely committed to this session engaged brilliantly and the next time we see them they managed to sit with us for 30 minutes so half the time and you know they barely say a word but they might have had you know a really bad night's sleep they might have had all kinds of factors on that make that difficult and actually the effort that they might be putting in to engage with us that second time might be greater than the first but all that's reflected in our case notes is um, they didn't engage as well this time but actually the opposite might be true they might be putting in double the amount of effort to try and engage with us yeah yeah, that's really good, Ben. Like Another that. thought that would could be quite uh, interesting would have been sharing notes with our clients. Kind of, what do you want me to write about this session? What do you want my colleagues to know? That sort of thing, which kind of goes with mm. what you were saying, Greg, at, at the beginning. Uh, don't talk about your clients as if behind their backs. Um, mm. I'm going to get... You're going to get bored of me saying this, but it, it it's so different. I don't know if you know that <laughs> to the extent of, of how different their approach is um, because 
the idea of someone even seeing our notes was only ever really like a, a negative thing is almost like a threat that one day someone might ask for these so you need to be really careful about what you write the idea of bringing them into the note taking process or even them being involved in it in some way or seeing it is really different i think and it yeah um, it kind of raises to me like what i'm going back to like your best hopes so like what, what are your hopes from writing the note you're writing and who are you writing it for mm-hmm. because if you want it to be useful to the person you're meeting with then yeah write it as if they are going to read it the next but between now and the next time you see them and what mm-hmm. would you want them to be to be reading because yeah. you'll still cover all those things that you know your organization needs you to cover you're just going to most more likely cover them in a way that is good for everyone as opposed to yeah using that space for anything else yeah cool so ben what was the other example we could quickly touch on yeah so the other example was jeremy seemed very annoyed and struggled to communicate with me again i think it's quite a common one this idea of they struggled to communicate with me yeah so my so my initial thoughts around this were um thinking of writing something more along the lines of um you know, my questions during this session were not a good fit for the client or were not as good a fit as they could be, was my initial thoughts. Um, but I think we we might have gone a bit beyond that now in today's discussion, but um, <laughs> that, that was where I started off at. So, so going from they struggled to communicate with me to my questions were not the best fit possible for the client. And even not necessarily in terms of what to write, but just questions to think about, because I think we're automatically drawn to the bits of the session that didn't go so well. Mm. So what else did we see instead? Mm. You know, that told us they were or what other ways did they communicate and engage with us and what what was happening then? What did we see then? So I don't Mm. know if that would Mm. give people more of a question to think about, because our initial reaction might be. Ah, uh, you know they—they they just they didn't do this with us today. So, so what did they do? And I think that takes us yeah. more into that. You know, they sat with us. Let's start with that. They turned up. You know, how, what did it take for them to get there? As we talked about the efforts, like did somebody drop mm. them off? Did they have to get the bus? Like, how did they make that happen? Because mm. then that that changes the way we view them and then the writing that would follow. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And then the writing that follows further changes the way that people view them. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's so yeah, I think as with all of the things we've talked about so far on the podcast, we could go on about this forever. And there's so many different things that we could talk about within this idea of note taking. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that stood out for me a lot, Ben, is the thing you said about on an organizational yeah. level people need to be feel they need to feel safe and comfortable to be honest in their notes yeah um i'm trying to figure out in my mind what would have happened if i wrote some of the things we talked about <laughs> <laughs> um you know i think people need to be comfortable and to, um organizations need to allow people to not be the perfect clinician uh, and to show some vulnerability in our notes yeah. that's really really important um because individuals might agree with us, but if the company isn't, then that's a different story, isn't it? Yeah. So that's really important, I think. 
Yeah, and I think it has to fit in as well within any organizational context because if an organization has a policy of, you know, someone doesn't turn up three times, then you close it down and they can come back in like another another time, another way, then sadly we, we have to work with that. I mean, obviously, we if there are like risks or concerns and things like that that are brought up, clearly we'd be, we'd be covering those things as well. So it's it's kind of having to balance a lot of different things. And I think, yeah, trying to do what we can where we can to, to sh- shift that view a bit of, of people. Like, they have those good reasons. Yeah. So this today podcast, it might have brought some quite radical ideas, but it's not like, you know, that you guys are not doing, that you have to transform everything because you're doing rubbish. Not at all. It's a process, isn't it? Like we discussed. And it's just a few ideas. You take whatever you can take to that will, might help you keep going in a session, keep going, trying different questions, different ways. And then who knows? Then there might be a little gate opening that you never thought of because you gave it another thought on how your client might be cooperating rather than another way of how they're not cooperating uh-huh yeah yep so people are listening to this and they've been stimulated by this and they something's twigs that they want to kind of find out more is there anywhere we could send people about notes and that about the things that we've taken any further resources or literature or anything that we could direct people to I mean, I can edit this out if we want to come up with something quick. <laughs> I've got no idea whether there are any notes, any literature on that. Mm, yeah, I, I, I feel know. like there's a, yeah. a solution-focused note-taking PDF is probably in the pipeline following this. Uh, yeah. the, other, the, <laughs> the other thing to say is, yeah, we'd love, obviously, engagement on these podcasts you know, with sort of questions and answers. So if people have mm. you know, follow-up thoughts and questions, yeah, please, please send them in because um, we'd love to debate them and answer them and keep the conversation going. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So yeah, if you want to send us any thoughts or questions, our email address is info at sfpossibilities.org or obviously contact us on our social media channels, uh, the various ones we have. We've got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it might be. So there's details in the descriptions for that. So thanks again, guys, for another, I think, quite a helpful conversation. And um, we'll see you again next time, whenever that might be. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys.